Uh, hi, this is Albert Castilla from Miami, Florida, and you're listening to Talking Blues. How are things in Florida right now? Oh, it's it's like Lord of the Flies down here. Um, <laughs> it's like you know, I mean, we got well, we have. We have, everybody is kind of like, um, it's kind of a, how do I put it without pissing people off, but, well, it all, you know, we have, everybody's left to their own device to do what they have to do, um, and it's, it's quite unnerving sometimes. Um, we have, it's, it's spilled down from the federal level, you know, the, the, the federal levels is, uh, on a federal level, they're saying, let the governors decide what to do. Right. And then on a governor's uh, on uh, on a state level, the governors are saying, "Well, we'll leave it up to the counties." So everything, every county in the state has their own rules. Um, where I'm at in uh, in Fort Lauderdale in Broward County, um, we have uh, we 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 are. Uh, it's a little more serious in terms of the uh, infection rate. Um, Forty minutes south, where my parents live in Miami. Uh, uh, it's a lot more serious. Um, so you know, it's 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 not been easy in where I'm in, in my part of the state. Um, we're 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 do we're doing the best we can. Yeah, it's it's crazy times. Um, if I'm not mistaken, somebody told me you were gigging last weekend. Is that true? That is true. I did I did have a show. Uh, that that there I have been very selective. Uh, they have opened up the economy a little bit here, so there there have been venues that were open to having uh, uh, um, music. So I have taken taken a few gigs uh, uh, since when when this initially happened. I believe in March. I, I I went two months without working, and then we I went. They opened up the economy in uh, in my part of the state, and I took about two or three gigs a month. Now I was very selective, right? Um, on on what because uh, here's the thing: we have a lot of people that believe that this thing doesn't really exist, and it's a hoax. The the virus is a hoax. So uh, I tended to to stay away from venues where the owners felt that this was a hoax, because if they did, chances are they weren't going to take the the uh, the steps to keep the place clean or, or, or enforce any type of social distancing. So I kind of was very selective on where to go. So the, the, I did take a few gigs, not, not enough really to sustain me, but I, I needed, I felt if the, if a venue, you know, it's really tough. I mean, we're in this situation where, you know, the venues are asked to work at a, a, a percentage of the capacity. Right. And so, some of these guys, if now the, you got guys who don't care, you have venues who just don't care about playing by the rules and they don't care about uh, people. So I tended to stay away from those places, but I had the, the venues that took all the precautions and, and maintained all the, the, the CDC guidelines and, and they reached out to me. And if I knew that they were going to do what they were supposed to do, within the rules, then I was going to, I would, I would uh, consider working with them. And I had, 
I had. So yeah, I did. I worked a an acoustic show at the Funky Biscuit in Boca Raton, Florida, which is about 20, 20 minutes north of where I live. And you know, there was it was it, it it's a room that seats two hundred. 200 people, 250 people. And there were 28 people there. Right. So there was plenty, there was plenty of room for social distancing <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, 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 and people were masked inside as, as they were uh, supposed to. So, I mean, everybody did what they're supposed to do. And so, yeah, I, 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 I've been very reluctant to play in, 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 in most, most venues don't didn't play by the rules like that. So I've, I've been, reluctant to take money gigs. So I've been doing a lot, mainly virtual gigs uh, from my office. And what's that like? It must be weird. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's weird. It's weird, but, you know, I, I, I you got to understand, I tour 200 days a year. Mm-hmm. So when I get home, I stay home. I don't go out. I don't do nothing. So I've been able to adapt a little bit pretty well to this whole thing, but it is strange to, 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 uh, to play in front of a phone, um, and, and, and do the, and, and, and perform in that, in that fashion. But, you know, it is what it is. And you know, what makes me feel good at the end of it is that, um, you know, there are people in the same boat as I am, you know, as much as I yearn to go out and play, you know, there are people that yearn to go out and listen. And and so I'm feeling their pain. So I, I, I feel good about doing it. Um, even though it's 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 uh it's a non conventional way. Does your approach to playing differ because of this? In terms of mm-hmm. like you know, obviously it's quite different than being in a club or being in a theater playing in front of um your fans, but just sure. just to sit there in front of your iPad or iPhone what how do you approach that how what what's the approach to doing that as a musician well the approach is way different because i don't have my band with me mm-hmm. um my my drummer lives in the next town over but uh but my bass player lives in in uh in tampa florida about f- 3 or 4 hours away so i don't have the band with me so i'm 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 normally an electric player and and I play in in a band situation, so that alone it, it makes it different. I'm, I I got my acoustic; it's just me. I'm not very good now. There I have very talented friends that can that that work with uh, loops, right? And can uh, program their their rhythm tracks. Uh, um, and like Gary Hoey is like a genius at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know Gary Hoey, but he he's a uh, he's one of the great rock. Uh, and blues rock guitar players of our time, a, a amazing talent out, out of Massachusetts. Um, but he is a genius at that. Like he's got, he's got the looper down and he's got his, he, he was, he's able to program his, his uh, tracks, uh, his track uh, background tracks without his vocals. I don't know how he does it. I would assume that it would be a long tutorial <laughs> if I did, if I asked him, but you know, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the space. I don't know if I have the the intellect to do all that stuff. And I, and to be honest with you, that I, I enjoy the acoustic playing because I don't do it all that much. But but that's what I've been doing. It, it's changed my approach to to performing in the sense that I don't have my band with me and I have to adapt my music to to acoustic. Right. That must be quite an adjustment. 
Well, yeah, it, it, it is an adjustment, but I mean, man, when I started out, when I was 18, it was acoustic. Um, you know, and when I was in college, I used to, I play in, uh, I do acoustic shows in, in coffee houses and stuff. So it's, it's going back to my roots in a sense. It's going back to, it's going back to basics in a sense, but it, it has been a while since I've done this much acoustic playing. Um, but I think it's made me a, a better player. Like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to make the best out of, out of this. I'm trying to find positives in this. Um, and I think <clears throat> the positive is it's, I think it's making me a better guitar player. Right. I, I've used the time to, to, uh, to woodshed and, 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 and study other, other, other genres of music. And, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to get, you know, I'm just trying to make the most of it. Give me an example of the other kind of musics that you've been listening to and studying. Well, Man, I've been getting into uh, like Indian music. Interesting. Like Ravi Shankar, Ravi Shankar and 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 uh, and uh, Ali Akbar Khan. I've been messing around with that stuff. I, I I used to listen. I listened to a lot of it um, on the road because it it, it was so meditative and it, it helped it helped me relax. And I I play it when I go to sleep. And I um like there's this great album that Ravi Shankar put put out called Sounds of India where he where he demonstrates the uh the rudiments of 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 what he of of his music, you know? And he show you what to play and he shows you how he plays it, the scales and and then he then he'd go into a raga and and it just I found you know, I found it to be very relaxing and, and very helpful for me on the road. And then I had all this time off and I started I had time to mess with it and jam along with it. And and so like that and and uh you know folk music and uh, um but you know just just stuff that I I I I normally wouldn't play uh I'm playing on acoustic. Right. Um there's like I've been jamming on some stones. I've been I've been using the 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 acoustic shows to to stretch out and do things I I would not not normally do with my band. Um like uh, uh, Delaney and Bonnie, I've been working on this. Uh, like one of my favorite songs is by Delaney and Bonnie, uh, Ever "Everlasting Song of Love." Mm -hmm. I've been messing with that one. You know, just doing things I wouldn't normally do. Is there an acoustic album in the future? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I think by the time by the time this this whole thing is over, I think my fan my fans are going to be over the old acoustic thing. I got I got a. For the most part, it's been very the feedback's been very positive. But I got I got a a, a message on my fan page. It's like we want your acoustic. We want I mean we want you to get back on the electric. <laughs> and like, yeah, I want to get back on the electric too. But that sounds pretty silly. It's just me on electric and no accompaniment. But but I did put out an, an acoustic record um, many years ago, and um, I'm I'm putting it out now on uh, I'm re-releasing it because I haven't. I hadn't really put it out, did do much uh, marketing for it when it first came out. I mean, this thing was put out in 2004. Right. Um, and it, or 2006, rather. And, and um, I, I wasn't as good of a player then as I am now. And uh, some parts of it make me cringe, but then I'm, I'm quite fond of it overall, though. <laughs> and, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm re-releasing it. And 
And, uh, but I don't know, who knows, you know, you never know. When you listen to something like that from 2004, I know you just said that some parts make you cringe, but sure. what do you think? Like, do you just go back to that person that you were? Um, do you go back to where your life was at at that point? Um, how, what, what happens so, when you listen to something like that? Yeah, I, I, well, I have fond memories of those days. Those were early parts of my solo. That was an early part of my solo career. And there were there were some a lot of things that that uh, that I loved about that period. I mean, I knew that my guitar playing wasn't quite as evolved back then as it is now. But I mean, we we're always trying to be better as musicians. We all the the ideal is to be better than you were before. You know, every day you want to be a better you want to be better, and uh, that's what we thrive for anyway. I was quite surprised at how well my vocals were on those records. I'm, I'm afraid to listen to those old early records sometimes <laughs> because the ones I put out now are so, uh, in a lot of ways, are heads and uh, heads and shoulders above above what I put out in the beginning. But I, but I, I, I every now and then I'll listen to them now, and I, I'm quite surprised at how how well they came out. I'm I, I'm a little hard on myself when it comes to those early records. Well, I can imagine. But yeah. But there were a lot. I mean, there was They did well for me, so there was some validity to them. Um, they weren't, you know. So I, I'm, you know. But that's how we, that's how we are as artists. Uh, most of us are. I, I think the the good artists. I've noticed that the great artists are are the ones that are hard on themselves. Right. And 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 and, and uh, always feel that they can do better. It's the ones that think that they're the bee's knees. Uh, uh, that are usually uh, falling short somewhere along the line uh, as as an artist. Mm -hmm. The ones that think they're great and 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 uh, think they've already learned everything there is to learn. I mean, you never you never stop learning as a musician ever. Right. Doesn't matter who you are. No matter if it's me or or if it's uh, uh, Joe Bonamassa. Mm -hmm. uh, um, that you never stop learning. And even I I don't know Joe, uh, but. I bet you he would say the same thing. I mean, he's always uh, learning, learning stuff, and he's always adding to his, uh, uh, adding to what he knows, you know. And working really hard. Yes. Well, that's uh, that's another thing. I mean, you, the 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 great ones work really hard. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you, you, there's no, you know, it's funny. There was a um, there was a kid on Facebook. Uh, a few years ago, who had been who had been playing the blues very long, and 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 he, you know, he was a, a classic. He, he was trained. Uh, he trained. He was a trained musician from from Berkeley College. It was like you know, very prestigious right. musical school, uh, 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 school of, of higher learning in terms of music. And, and he had been, you know, he, he he tried his hand at blues, and and it, it wasn't really working out for him. I mean, he was six months into it, so you know, you're not supposed to get it right after six months. But he was pissed off that he wasn't that he wasn't famous yet, and 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 he was questioning why people that he perceived as as not as talented were more successful than he was. And I kind of lost it when I saw the post, and I said, "Look, man, you know these people that you mentioned that you're hating on worked really hard, and they may be your age." But they worked really hard. 
there were some artists that I knew that he mentioned that were friends of mine that I knew firsthand worked really hard, went on on horrible tours of Europe with hor horrible uh, routing and worked really hard and carried their own equipment and paid their dues at a very accelerated level. And, uh, and, and so there is, and I, tr I tried to convey to him that there's no other way around being successful. Uh, other t the path to being successful involves hard work, right? No matter how you know, how, how you slice it, this isn't a, a, um, you know, this is not American idol is not the norm. You know, you don't, you don't build your whole career on a, on a eight week contest. It's a lifetime of hard work and that's just, and, and that's it. You know, that's all there is to it. When, when did you figure that out? From day one. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was a struggle. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say struggle. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a struggle, but there, definitely from the, from the moment I started going to jam sessions, I knew that it was going to involve a lot of work. I was, I was, first of all, when I was, when I started out, there were older players that were so much better than I was. And, and, and there were older players that didn't really care for a young person playing the blues. They were like, yeah, you're not very good. You know, I don't know why you come here. And, you know, you, you deal with resistance and, uh, but yeah, from the moment you start playing in clubs, that's when your 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 the heart the the work begins. You just have to keep playing and keep doing it. I, I've always, that's always I've always understood that. And uh and 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 what keep kept me going through the hard times was the love of the music. I was never I don't think I was um given a gift of playing. I think what I was given was the gift that I was given in terms of this music was the love. Uh, of the music because of the love of the music. I worked really hard at it. I didn't want to, um, give it up. Uh, I, 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 I may not, I, you know, I'd see other players that were far more evolved than I was at, at my age. Uh, and it did, but it didn't discourage me. I, um, because I felt like I was at times when I felt that, uh, my career was stagnating or I wasn't getting where I wanted to go. I don't know that the love for the music and the love for playing uh, burned so burnt so hot, hot from inside of me that I just didn't want to stop playing. I just didn't want to give it up. Okay, so if we go back to your earlier days, you you actually worked yeah. full time in the welfare in, in a, social a, services, a, right? Correct. Out of college, yes. Um, at that point, oh, yeah. were you thinking you would be a musician, or did you think I'm going to work nine to five and then play music part time? Well, you know, my my parents uh, had a very strong work ethic, you know, and 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 you know, they told me, and and they were very quite skeptical about my music thing. They thought it was a passing phase, and and. and and they said, look, you know, when I got out of high school, they were like, look, you, you want to play music, you go ahead, but you got to go to college and you have to do this. And, uh, and I said, okay, you know, so I went to, you know, I went to college and I played nights and, and, uh, so are you playing blues yeah. at this point or are you, are you doing oh, yeah. more rock? Oh, the blues was, the blues was, was with me from, um, 
you know, I have been playing rock in high school, but not with bands or anything. But, you know, rock rock and roll, of course, is any middle-class white kid's first love. Right. But then the, when the blues bug hit me at 15 or 16, and I heard a Muddy Waters album for the first time, that's when I knew uh, what my path was going to be. It was going to be about, about blues. So I was playing blues from the age of 16 and then, and then, uh, and through, through, uh, out of high school, um, when I was about, uh, got 17 or 18, I, I, see, when I graduated from high school, I was, I hadn't even turned 18 yet. Um, uh, and then I, um, I just went to jam sessions. I felt, you know, I wasn't ready to play in bands, uh, when I got out of high school. Um, I, f I felt like there was stuff to learn. So I went to jam sessions from the age of 18 uh, to the age of, uh, yeah, like 20. Okay. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I do little freelance gigs with, with people like fill in gigs in that period of time. But, but um, there was so much for me to learn. And uh, so I went to a lot of jam sessions and stuff. And then I, I, I got it. I had my own band just shy of me transferring from community college in Miami to the university of central Florida in Orlando. Um, uh, I was like around 20 and, um, what the hell happened? I'm trying to get the timeline straight. It's been so long. Uh, but, but I had this, I started this band, but then I had to go to college, but that was fine because I, I my college was only three hours from home. So I used to drive, down to to Miami from Orlando every other weekend and play with my my band, which was made up of of, of older guys, right? Uh, and I, I learned so much from. But anyway, so I I uh, I was I had the band and I was going to college and I was and then uh, and then I graduated with a liberal arts degree, and uh, I was able right out of college I was I was able to get a job with the state of Florida welfare office. But I, I, you know, to me, the goal was always to play music full time. Um, but she's the worst case scenario is that I, I'd be a pretty good, uh, social worker and, and be able to play music at night. And, and that would have been fine with me too. Um, but the goal was ultimately to, to, uh, to play music full time, and and as I and when I found out very quickly get uh, um, with that job at the welfare office was that I was not very good at it, and I didn't enjoy it, and it didn't it didn't do me much good, right, and and I didn't do my clients much good either. I was I was terrible at it. <laughs> and then you had this chance meeting with Junior Wells, correct? Correct. Tell me, tell me about that. I'm sure you've said it many, many times, but it's a pretty amazing moment in your life. Oh man, it was the greatest. Um, well, we we uh, Junior and I have, had a mutual friend named Gloria Pierce. Uh, Gloria was Gloria grew up in Chicago, and and she knew Junior from the '70s. And she used to go to Teresa's Lounge right. on the south side of Chicago, and she used to go she she used to go see Junior and Buddy playing she was quite friend uh good friends with with uh with phil guy and sammy lawhorn and all the old chicago blues greats and so she used to go there all the time in fact she had like old archival footage 
of of, of them playing. Wow, which uh, amazes me. But you know, she she knew Junior and um and uh she let's see December thirty first, nineteen ninety six. He was playing a show at uh, at uh, the back room in uh, Delray Beach, Florida. And she called me and she invited me to go with her. I said, okay, I'll go. You know, and uh, I said, well, bring your guitar with you. And I said, okay, but don't push him. I, I, you know, if it happens, it happens, but I, no big deal. Um, what's, what's you know? at that point, what's your playing like? How confident are you as a player? Uh, I was, um, I wasn't, I didn't have much confidence back then. Um, and, and, you know, um, my, the band that my, my first band that I had been with for almost 10 years, it had just come to an end and, uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. And, um, all the, the confidence thing I gained through, through junior actually. How, how much, um, I, I, how much exposure would you have had to blues musicians of that caliber living in Miami? Miami was a great primer for 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 the Chicago thing. Right. There were there were a lot of great musicians. Is that what you're asking me? You're asking me um, the, more like how often would you have gone to see a legendary blues musician like oh. that? Well, they they had a they had a well. There was the oldest blues bar in Miami was Tobacco Road, and uh, they used to uh, man every blues band in town. You'd come through there. And I, I try to, uh, you know, I, and there were other venues. Miami was quite a, quite a musical, had a quite a scene back in the eighties and and nineties. Uh, they had lots of venues and, and uh, uh, for for bands to come through town and play at. I remember when I was in high school. I tried to go see uh, Paul Butterfield in Coconut Grove, but I was underage and I couldn't get in. The guy wouldn't let me in. Right. Um, and. and uh, he wasn't around much longer after that. Uh, but man, there were lots of places to play. I, I used to see uh, uh, Derek, a young Derek Trucks playing little bars in Coconut Grove in Miami. Um, That's quite as I saw, I saw, I've seen the, the Nighthawks and Carrie Bell, Matt Guitar Murphy. Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite a thriving, quite a, quite a, the, the music scene was quite different back then. Okay, so I was, I'm wondering. As a young kid who wants to become a blues musician and to have exposure to these legendary players, what did you learn from watching them? Uh, well, what I learned, what I, I didn't, I, they all, they all had this confidence to them. This, 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 uh, they just, they, they were just really, they had no fear when they were up there. And, and and as a as a as a uh, as a spectator, I did didn't know how to get it, that kind of confidence. I didn't know what it took. Right. And then I got the and then I got the job with Junior, and I got to see firsthand for six months how what it was about. You know, um, the way the way they connected, the way they connected with an audience, the 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 blues artists. Um, that was one that was like the biggest lesson I learned from from working with Junior um day in and day out for six months was that that he, he just had this this ability to connect with an audience. 
he made the audience feel like they were a part of the show. He was really vulnerable and he opened up and he got, and that, so that was one thing he was about, but just the confidence, man, you know, he was just, he, he, he just, uh, he got up there and he played and he, he didn't care who was out there. And, and he just, he just carried himself as like this badass <laughs> and, and he had no fear, you know? And, 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 uh, um, I don't know, man. There's just stage presence wise. And, and I, and I learned a lot about, uh, stage presence and, and, um, and how to cue a band and how to run a band. I mean, just, there were so many things I learned from, from those guys. I can imagine. So, so we should go back to that fateful day, New Year's oh, Eve. Yeah. And, and so you go so, there with your guitar, with your friend, and you go see Junior yeah, so, Wells. Is there, is there a, uh, are there, it's like an FCC regulation on what I can say or how I should say it? No. <laughs> say whatever you need okay. to. Well, because, I mean, I have to, to keep the, the story authentic, I have to use some salty language at, at on occasion. That's fine. <laughs> okay. So... So we get to the club, we get to the back room in, in Delray Beach, and and uh, and I meet Junior for the first time. Gloria introduces me to him, and he goes, hey, I go, Mr. Wells, it's an honor to meet you. And Junior goes, uh-uh, don't call me Mr. Wells. You could call me two things. You could call me Junior, or you could call me motherfucker. <laughs> and I said, and I said, and I was really intimidated by him. To the point where I called him Mr. Motherfucker. I said, okay, Mr. Motherfucker. No, he goes, not Mr. Motherfucker, just Motherfucker. And I, and I said, well, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can call you that. <laughs> okay, Junior, it's nice to meet you. And, and then, uh, he, you know, we talked a little bit, and then he went on his way. And his road manager, Michael Blakemore, um, he he approached me midway through the first set as their band was playing. He goes, hey, I heard you, you play some guitar. And I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, and he goes, well, you want to sit in? I said, yeah, I'd love to. And he goes, well, you better be good because if you're not, Junior's, Junior's going to embarrass you in front of everyone on stage. And I told Michael, I said, uh, I said, listen, man, I work at the welfare office. I do 12-hour shifts over there. I said, a bad night with Junior Wells beats a good day at the office. <laughs> I said, I don't care what, what happens. You know, we'll, I'm, I'll be ready for it no matter what. And he said, okay. So uh, this, the, the second set starts. They get me up with the band first, with, without Junior. You know, they, they, there was, um, we had, Junior had a nine-piece band. And they usually open the set before he came up. They do two or three songs. So I got up and did two or three songs with the band. And then uh, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, they, they went into some, uh, you know, uh, Herbie Hancock. I think we did uh, Chameleon and uh, uh, Pick Up the Pieces. I mean, and they really fed me to the wolves, you know. But I, I held in there. I hang, I. I held my own and then junior came up and I did three more songs with junior and the band. Uh, I, I think we did messing with the kid. Yeah. We did messing with the kid. I think a little red rooster. And I was just, uh, I couldn't believe it. I was up on stage playing messing with the kid with the kid. Right. And, and, and uh, 
So uh, Junior goes, well, give it up for this young man, and uh, blah, blah, and, I, and it, was, it was a sold-out crowd. It was a New Year's Eve sold-out crowd. Um, there were a handful of musicians there all jealous and pissed off that I was up on stage with them, and and um, and I got off the stage, and I was really cool. And uh, and then I a minute I got outside the bar, I, I stepped outside. I hauled ass to a payphone and called my parents. And I told my mom, I, yeah, my mom picked up. I said, I played with Junior Wells. And my mom was like, okay, I don't know who he is, but I'm very happy for you. And <laughs> and uh, and I went back to the club, back inside and, and watched the rest of the show and hung out with Junior and, and the band and hit it off with the guys in the band, some of the guys in the band. Um, and then uh, they had to leave right away. They had to go to Alabama the, the next day. So they had to leave from the club. And that at that time, that was the greatest day of my life. Um, I can see why. Th- I was like, and I said, man, they're not going to get no better than this. And I went back to work at the welfare office a few days later. And, and then I got a call a few days after that and said, look, um, uh, juniors get one of juniors guitar players, uh, uh, can't make the neck of the run at the end of the month uh, in, in, uh, in February, early February. Can you do three days with us? I said, yeah. So I did Buffalo, Cleveland and Detroit that flew me up. I, I filled in for the guy that I wound up replacing um, so I flew up to Buffalo. I did Buffalo, Cleveland, and Detroit with them, and I went home. That was in fair, and then I went back home. Okay, stop. After I got back, stop there. Go, okay, go, yeah, go ahead. Um, go ahead. Did you just make sure we go back to where where the, <laughs> we will? We will. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, so when you because it gets good. Well, it's pretty good already. So when you get that phone call, what do you think? Yeah. Like, I mean, was there any indication that you had done was, so well? Was that, at that point, that was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> it just kept getting, it, things just kept getting better and better in terms of moments at that point. It was like, what? I said, what? You're going to call me? I said, wow. And I, 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 I couldn't believe it. How much? They're like, yeah, I need, yeah go How ahead. much road experience had you had at this point? I know you were playing in a band. None. None. I was, I was, I had done 10 years on the local scene, right? Uh, I never. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm from Miami, and the the furthest I ever got was a the, in my uh, in that local band was a playing at a nudist camp in in Key Largo, Florida. That's the furthest <laughs> I ever I ever got to anywhere. Wait a second. So, <laughs> what was that gig like? <laughs> that was a a a, a, a it was a uh, clothing optional resort. And unfortunately, the ugly people were the ones that liked to let their freak flag fly, and the and the hot people were the ones that were fully clothed. Of course, that makes total sense to me. <laughs> um, tell me about that flight to Buffalo, and so now you're not only going on the road with a legend, but you're carrying a guitar, and this is like the first time you're on the road. You're flying to Buffalo. What are you thinking? I thought it was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> Another I was one. on a plane. I flew to Buffalo and it was cold as hell. It was snow. It was, it was, there was snow. I hadn't seen, seen snow in years. It was ice on the ground, snow all over the place. I got, uh, I, I got a, they didn't pick me up. I took a cab to the Days Inn and uh, hung out there and waited for the band. And, and uh, it was awesome. I said, I can't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Where this is awesome. Uh, um, and we did uh, we did the show at the Calumet City Cafe, and it was a club on Chippewa Street, and um, 
I didn't have any rehearsal. Um, they gave me a tape of what of the set uh, of the show, and um, it was all stuff you know I grew up listening to, you know. So it was, um, I was quite familiar with the material. Although you know, there's still no substitute for rehearsing. You can't really get, but I mean, I I never rehearsed with the band. So, uh, but anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I so I do the show with with Junior, and it's packed. And I just, uh, it just it was it was a, the best. It was one of the best nights ever. And, and I remember he at some point during the set, he put two chairs. And Junior sat in the middle between the, me and the other guitar player, and we just did like just some down home stuff without the band, rest of the band. And um, I felt my way through it because you know we didn't have we weren't using drums on the on the like the uh, on those kind of things where we brought it down and it was just two guitars and Junior, and you had to go by Junior's timing and by his foot, which could be erratic at times. There was this there was a saying in the band like there was good timing there was bad timing and then there was junior's timing <laughs> and you just had to it was if you could if you weren't following right right he'd, he'd give you a stank eye and he'd uh he would he you know he'd get on your ass but i was lucky i i had i had his timing down for some reason that first night i had the timing down now there were nights after that that i didn't have it down and he let me know but for some reason everything worked that night for me and it was a great night and then uh after the show it was the strangest thing. People were asking me for, for autographs. And I was like, why do you want my autograph? I'm just a guitar player in the band. No, no, you're in the band. I want you to say, and, and, and then one of the guys in the band, I think it might've been Stevie Lizard, the other guitar player. He goes, he said, just go with it. You know? And I said, okay. You know, and just, and uh, it was just a wonderful night. And then, and then after the show, me and a handful of the guys went across the street to this after hours bar and we drank kamikazes all night and had a good time. And then I had to get up the next morning. Um, we had to get up in the morning and pick up the equipment, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I was 27 years old. So, I mean, my, my, the hangovers didn't hurt as much as they used to, but uh, back as they did back then, they didn't hurt that bad back then right. as they do now, but, but it still hurt nonetheless. And we had to get up and get that stuff. And my stomach was grumbling. And I remember the van, Heading from the hotel to uh, to the club, and Chippewa Street had a lot of potholes, and the van was bouncing up and down and up and down, and it was, and it, and it, and I finally I couldn't take it anymore. I kicked the side doors of the van open, and I stuck my head out the window, out of like a kind of like James Bond, and and just puked all over the cars behind us. <laughs> Must have impressed Throughout, the bandmates. So, oh, they were like laughing. And, and I was like, oh, and then after that, I kept thinking, oh, my God, Junior's going to kill me. He's going to find out that I did this. He's going to fire me. He's like, blah, blah, blah. This, he's going to send me home. He's will never hire me again. And then uh, we we head down the road to Cleveland, and we stop in Angola at the uh, truck stop in Angola. And I'm feeling like dog shit. And, and uh, Junior walks up to me as I'm walking towards the, 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 the food court, and he pats me on the back and goes, had a rough night, huh? <laughs> That's what he said. And I said, wow. And I kept thinking, wow, you could drink every night and play? This is great. <laughs> what a job. Couldn't do this at the welfare office. And uh, and so everything. And then, so then after Buffalo, look, this, Marco, this, this, let me tell you something. Every day 
this I, this way I kept saying like it's like every day you think that was the best day ever and then we go to Cleveland and um we played the show in Cleveland sold out crowd in Cleveland at Wilbur's and and um Junior closes it out and we go into the green room and then they're they're asking for an encore they're clamoring for an encore and Junior says, hey, I heard you could sing. I said, yeah. He goes, why don't you go ahead and close it out? I said, do the encore? He said, yeah. I said, I said, no way, old man. I'm not going up there to do the encore. Are you crazy? They don't want to hear me. They want to hear you. And he goes, no, 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 you're going to do the encore. I said, no, I don't. I'm not doing the encore. They said, do it or you're fired. I said, okay, I really don't want to. I don't want, I don't want this to end, so I guess I'll just do it and just deal with the hecklers and the tomatoes or whatever and and i so i got up on stage to the dismay of some of the members of the band uh some there, there were a couple of them weren't happy with the fact that i had to, that i was up there to sing with the band with no rehearsal but it wasn't up to me it was up to junior i had nothing to do with it but i got up there and i did further on up the road with the band at the encore and people were really nice Nobody, I didn't hear anybody complain that it was, it wasn't junior up there or anything. Cleveland was really cool to me. Wow. And, and, and I felt, I was like, wow. And then I, uh, and then we did Detroit the next day and then, and that was great too. But then when I got home, I got it. Somebody sent me a transcript from the review from the Cleveland plane dealer of the show. And in Cleveland, and they mentioned me in it and they were very, it was very positive. It was my first review. They said, Albert Castiglia, the guitar player, closed it out and he did a great job. I mean, I was like, wow. So that was another, you know, great thing. So I went back to work. I did Detroit. I did Buffalo, Cleveland, and then Detroit. Flew home from Detroit. Went back to work. And then I got, I felt really cocky after that. I was like, man, I don't need this job at the welfare office. I just did three nights with Junior Wells. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out. You know, I'm going to take a little leave of absence, take a couple weeks off, you know, build a, you know, get some gigs in town and use my name. The fact that I played with Junior Wells, I did three nights with Junior Wells. I could use that as a, as a way to get me some gigs and stuff. And, well, that didn't work out. You know, I, I wasn't getting any bites. Nobody was interested in in me, even though I had done three nights with Junior Wells, I did a world tour with, <laughs> I did a tour of the Midwest with Junior Wells, but that didn't seem to matter to people. And, and, and so I went back to work and, uh, and I was kind of a little discouraged that I was to go from playing three sold out shows that uh, then having to go back to, to pushing papers and doing something you're not very good at or don't quite much enjoy. It, it was kind of, it was kind of a, 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 it messed with my head a little bit. So, I, uh, but about a month after I got home from that show in Detroit, or a month or two, um, I, I, had, I was face down at my parents' couch for some reason. I think I was staying at my parents. I had a problem with my apartment, and I was staying with my parents, and I was face down on the couch. I left, and I get a call at my parents' house. My mom says, uh, "There's somebody. Um, Michael Blakemore is on the phone." Junior's road manager. And I go, oh my God. I, I pick up the phone and they said, hey, what's going on? He said, hey, I uh, was wondering if you could be in Chicago in three days. I go, what for? And he goes, to play with Junior full time. 
And I said, well, let me think about it. Okay. <laughs> That's all it took. It took three seconds. I, I, I didn't, I didn't leave it. I didn't leave it hanging for too long because I didn't want him to hang up on me. I said, let me think about it. Okay. I'm in. And so this must've been April. I think it was April when that happened. Was there any indication so, as to April of 97, the fact that they would call you like, was there any indication that they would call you again? Did you have any feeling that this is no, a, this would continue? No, no, because I was, who would want to, uh, I always thought, you know, once you had a gig like that, you would, who, why would you want to, why would anybody want to leave it? Right. So I didn't think I was going to, you know, get a call for anything. I was just continuing my, my, you know, go, I went back to my, my job and, uh, you know, think about what I was going to do musically because I, my band had just broken up and I wasn't really doing much. So I was just, you know, I, I don't know. I was in, I was kind of in purgatory, uh, in a state of my, my life was in a, in a, in a holding pattern, uh, in terms of my musical career. And I, and I was just working at that job, that dead end job. Um, so, you know, I had no idea that they were going to call me. And then that was that. And then that was the greatest day of my life, getting that call. That became that became the greatest day of my life at that time. Okay, so what do you think it was about you that they thought we need to get this guy in the band? I tell you exactly what it was. So I have to, in order for me to answer that, I have to go back to when I was um, eighteen um, and going to jam sessions. Um. I met, there was a, a, a great guitar player. He's still around in, in Miami, a, a gentleman by the name of Pat DeLeon. Um, he was in um, the house band at Woody's on the Beach. Now, Woody's on the Beach was a nightclub in Miami Beach that was owned by Ron Wood from the Rolling Stones. Right. And Bobby Keys was the Rolling Stones saxophone player, and he had... He ran the house band at Woody's on the Beach. Yeah. And Pat DeLeon was his guitar player. And uh, he's a, he was someone I admired greatly because he was a blues player, uh, a blues and a rock player from Miami. He was a Cuban, uh, Cuban-American, just as I am. My mother's side of the, is Cuban. Uh, I'm an Italian-Cuban. I'm a mutt, actually. I have many, made up of many things. But growing up in Miami... You're 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 either um, you're either Cuban by blood or Cuban by proxy. It's just the way it is in Miami. Right. But but he was he was one of my heroes. He was a Cuban American uh, um, who played blues, who who got to play with Bobby Keys. It was a man I, I admired. One of the most confident people I've ever met. Um, I remember the first jam, one of the first jams I ever went to. I was playing, and he got up on stage and literally shoved me off the stage and took over the song. Hmm. But he was a guy that I admired greatly and he was a great guitar player. And the, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned, it might've been the most important lesson. He told me, he said, he said, he said, if you don't have a good vibrato when you're playing guitar, if your vibrato isn't good, you're never going to get anywhere. You ain't shit without vibrato. Hmm. And I said, okay. He goes, develop your vibrato. Uh, and because if, if you're just playing flat notes, it's just not going to appeal. You got to get that BB King, Albert Collins kind of thing, develop your own vibrato and you will, you'll, you'll be all right. 
Well, I get the job with Junior Wells. And then uh, years later, after Junior passed away, his road manager told me um, we were at Rose's Lounge and uh, in, in Chicago. And uh, I just played and, and my junior's nephew is road manager he um he was always a, he was a great he was the best road manager I, I ever worked for but he he was never very he didn't give out compliments too much so he's like he he's in his south side manner he was junior wells's nephew as well as his road manager but so he had he had the street talk down he goes he goes to me he goes he was mad at me that night this is a few years ago that I played and he thought I played too many notes. And, and cause I could, sometimes I, I let them, I get caught up in the moment. I could shred a little bit sometimes. And that's like a no, no for most chi Chicago uh, blues aficionados. Although buddy guy never, it never hurt buddy guy's career, but, <laughs> but he, he said to me, he goes, you played too many notes. And I remember I had been, I kind of gained a few pounds and I had a little bit of a pooch belly going on. And he goes to me, he goes, you play too many notes, you big bellied motherfucker. <laughs> and then he said, and then he said, the only reason Junior hired you is because of that vibrato. <laughs> so um he loved my vibrato. But but he he loved my playing. He liked my playing enough to, to want to hire me. And and he had, you know, there were a lot of players he had gone through in, in Chicago. And uh, I don't think he felt he could trust anybody at that point anymore uh, on a local level. Um, and I think he wanted to just look for somebody outside of, out of, uh, outside of his uh, locale. Okay, so did and so there were, so there was a lot of a lot of things in my favor, but the vibrato was the most important thing. Did you move to Chicago? Mm-hmm. What was that like? Yeah, that was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> I get, I got on, I had to. When I when I agreed to take the gig, I had three days to get there. So I had I was playing in a rock band, a group of friends of mine uh, from high school had a, a rock band we'd play on the side, and I had a gig with them. And then we had a going away party the next day or a couple of days later. And then I was on a plane to Chicago in April of '97. And um, you know I grew up in Florida. I I, I was born in New York. Uh, in uh, in New York, I lived in Queens till I was four, and we left. And uh, you know, but I hadn't been around cold weather all that much most of my life, and I forgot that April in 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 Miami is drastically different from April in Chicago. Right. So I showed so I showed up at O'Hare Airport wearing a pair of shorts and a tank top, and it was forty five <laughs> degrees. Nice. So uh, and uh, and um. I get there and I I uh I got a cousin who had just got married and he lived in Chicago and he let and him and his wife agreed to let me stay at their house their 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 uh, they lived in a in an apartment um on the north side um and it was a loft uh, if you ever been to a loft the door the the walls in the uh, in the uh, the bedrooms and the rooms in in a loft usually don't go up all the way to the ceiling. And I had a snoring problem. <laughs> so I lasted a day there. Wow. I was I lasted a day there. And my cousin goes, after the first day, my cousin was like, man, you got to go. <laughs> my wife can't get any sleep. And and this is just not going to work out. I said, like, fine, fuck y'all then. So I got my stuff and I went up the street to a transient hotel 
on on uh, on Clark Street, no, on Belmont, excuse me, on Belmont off of Clark Street called uh, the Hotel Belmont. Believe me, it sounded much more luxurious than it actually was. It was a transient hotel right next to the red line track uh, train, um, and, and the train ran every 20 minutes. It was something out of the Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah. It was a raggedy-ass, nasty transient. It was like a $30 a night transient hotel, and I checked in, and I had a. It was a nasty. There was a. I think there was a chalk line on the floor by the bed. Uh, there was a, a a tiny Panasonic TV with a wire hanger as a an antenna. I had to share the share the bathroom with the guy next door, um, who was mumbling in his sleep a lot. He was a hobo, and I had uh, um, hookers running up and down the hall screaming. And and uh, I looked out my window, and I said to myself, "This is the greatest day of my life." <laughs> I'm a Chicago blues musician. I'm living in Chicago, playing the blues, and as gunfire is ringing through the hall, through the through the hotel, um, it was it was awesome. And then I, I got settled in there. I lived there for a couple of weeks, and then I had another cousin that lived there, uh, uh, whose uh, girlfriend uh, at the time was trying to get his hooks her hooks in him, and she let me stay at her 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 apartment for a week or two, and so that she could stay with him and so i got i stayed at her house for uh, her apartment for a couple weeks and i found an apartment and got settled in and um yeah it was the beginning of a a, of 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 my my uh full-time career as a musician i never looked back after that i I, when i was in that hotel room um i I told myself that i would never go back to doing something i didn't like or didn't enjoy doing and there was no turning back for me at that point. I was going to play music no matter what. This was my op- my, my opportunity to, to do something okay. uh, with this, and, and I wasn't going to turn back. Now, then you spent a number of years with Junior until he passed away, and then you joined Sandra Hall's band, and I guess... It, was, it wasn't very long, actually. I was with Junior about... S- I was actively touring with him for about seven months, oh, six or okay. seven months. Okay. And then he got, and then he got sick, and, and he... But you know, I, I mean, I was his, as far as I was his guitar player till the day he died. Right. So that one, it would have been a year. <laughs> it was, but I actually toured with him for about six or seven months. But then you toured with other people. Correct. Um, Sandra Hall. Yeah. At at that point, are you thinking that I'm you're going to be a touring sideman, or were you think was there always the thing that you wanted to be a solo artist? Um. Well. It, it's funny because I wasn't thinking of at the time that I was with Junior, and at, even at the time that he passed, I wasn't thinking about uh, fronting my own band. Although they tried, we tried to keep after Junior died, we tried to keep the band rolling without him. You know, reinventing ourselves as a different ba- band called the the Hoodoo Man Band, which was made up of guys in Junior's band. But but I. The, Fronting a band full time was was still the furthest thing from my mind, but somehow, Junior was very prophetic about my careers. Uh, he he, we were on a on a blues cruise, um, in in the Caribbean, and I was hanging out with him, and he's he t- we were at the bar, and he told me he said uh, he said you know, 
I had just joined the band. And he's like, you know, um, I don't expect you to be in this band very long, you know, because at some point you're going to have your own band. And, and I just want you to, to know that, you know, you, I just want you to listen to what I have to say. Just listen to everything, watch everything and listen to everything and learn from, from me and the guys in this band. And, uh, and one day you'll have your own band. And I wasn't thinking about that. I, I appreciated that. It meant a lot to me that that came from. Mm-hmm. But uh, but even after he died, I mean, the the idea of fronting my own band was still a, a, a long ways away from me. I was in in I was in uh, sideman mode. I felt that there were still things to, for me to learn. I didn't feel like I was ready to really take on a a front a frontman uh, role. At a hundred percent, you know what I mean. So, what when does that happen? Like, how does that happen? Well, I I I, I came to the, you know, I was uh, what happened was after Junior died, I was doing uh, you know, little side gigs here and there, and like we had we had the the offshoot of Junior's band, and we gave some gigs here and there, not a whole lot, and I and I was doing side gigs with um, with a lot of local legends. Um, not guys that you would you would really not names you would you would really know uh, um, the, the guys that never really toured nationally but 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 Chicago wise were legends um, um guys like J W Williams and, and uh, uh, Charlie Love um, Lindsey Alexander uh, Little Max Simmons did a few gigs with Lurie Bell Lurie it was was probably one of the bigger names that that I worked with when I was in Chicago, but a lot of lo- great local guy uh, talent. Right. And then, uh, and then I got the job with Sandra Hall not, not too long after junior died, probably in the fall of 98. Um, and, uh, and we hit the road hard with her. Um, we did, I did three and a half years with her been through. I mean, um, we, we went everywhere in the country I uh, did go to Poland with her, but we didn't go worldwide too much with her. But we we hit the country real hard, and, and um, that's kind of when I was started thinking about. Near the end of my term with her was when I started thinking about uh, doing my own thing, and then um, and then the day I decided to make the break of all days was nine eleven. Wow, which was really weird. Um, I, I, I was in Maine and we played Maine on September 10th and, and we had a day off in Maine and they let us stay at the hotel, um, an extra day. And I said, well, that was going to be the day that I, that I broke the news. We have the day off and I'm going to give her plenty of notice. I'll give her till the fall, you know, I'll give her more than two weeks. I'll give her like three months to, to find somebody. And, and so I wake up and nine 11 happens and, uh, yeah, I broke, I, and then I go over to her room and we're watching the president address the nation that evening, and and that's when I told her. I said, "Look, I, I this is the worst timing in the world to be telling you this, but this is how, but this is what I was, I, this was the day I was going to tell you." So I told her and I gave her my notice, and she understood. And I and I, uh, a few months later, I I, I was uh, I was on my own. Okay, so when you're on your own after the experiences that you've had with Junior and Sandra and a number of other people, how much does that experience um, count? Oh, it, it was everything. It was a, it was a it was like uh, 
getting a master's degree. That's right. I, I know for you it meant a lot, but as, as a solo artist and and then to go out there and say, hi, I'm so-and-so, I used to play with Junior and Sandra, do people automatically show up or do they know who you are? No, it, They didn't automatically show up, but but because because of those experiences, I had a lot more confidence and... I was I was a better musician because of the time I did with them. Right. So I, I and and it was slow in the beginning, but I really I built I built the uh, you know I built a, a a fan base from the ground up. So what happened was I was living in Chicago that whole time I was with, I was playing with Sandra, even though Sandra was from Atlanta. The band was based out of Chicago, and I, I did four years in, in Chicago. And, and and at that point, it was like um, there were so many great guitar players in Chicago and they had been around for so long and they were getting a lot of the gigs. And so I was kind of struggling in Chicago a bit. And I didn't see any opportunity for me to really grow there. So I went back home. I went back to Florida after I, I gave Sandra my notice. I mean, I was splitting time between Florida and Chicago. I had a I had a roommate in Chicago, and then I had a, a pad in 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 in, uh, in Florida as well. And but I, I moved back to Florida for good after I left Sandra, and um, I I felt really bad about it because it, all, all I wanted to do since I was a kid was be a, a a Chicago blues musician. I wanted to live in Chicago and be immersed in that scene. But reality set in, and I, it was time for me to to go home. It was just the right time to go home. Although I felt horrible. I felt like I failed that I couldn't make it work in Chicago. And I went back to Miami and, uh, and it took me about a year or two to, to really build a following. Um, but it, uh, it was, it was the best thing I, 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 I could have done because my fan base in, in South Florida, came out and they were really loyal to me. And you know, it took it took about a year or two, but but it was uh, it was worth it, man, cuz they they really came out for me. And I think that that my time with 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 all those great artists um really benefited me as a as a as a as a uh, as a musician um and as a frontman. I would not I learned so much in terms of how uh, uh fronting a band from all those artists. And that that really helped me going into into my solo career. Um, did you know who you were musically at this point? No. How does one discover? You know, I that? still don't. I still don't know. I mean, you're. Always, I'm, we're constantly uh, musicians. Constantly evolve, um, um, and I don't. I don't believe in staying in one uh, uh, creatively. Um, I like letting the, the, the creative winds take me wherever it takes me. So, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I really don't know where I fit in. I, I always, I don't know. There's, that's a good question. I, I don't, I don't know if I, I, there's, I don't think there's ever a point where you said, well, I've arrived and this is who I am. And, no, um, I, I didn't mean it like that, but I just, I just I, wondered uh, where, you know, if you, if you know, I mean, you've got what, more than 10 albums out you've done a lot of mm -hmm. recordings you've had yeah. quite a bit of success touring all over um you know you won the blues music awards i mean these are pretty right. impressive 
stats. So, yeah. So um, I, I'm not saying you had to define yourself completely, but as you were going along, were you happy with who you were and where you were going? Oh, yeah. Oh, most definitely. Um, you know, uh, but I, but I have, I, I'm cursed with, uh, with self-doubt. You know, it, it lingers. I'm better. I'm, I'm, I'm as I'm, I just turned 51. So I did like a little just better. a few days a ago. Little, yeah. Just a couple of, uh, on the 12th. Happy belated birthday. Um, thank you. Which by the way, yeah. I just want to say something. There was, yeah. there was something that was posted by Mike Zito on your birthday. Um, mm -hmm. on Facebook, which was like such a beautiful statement about how he felt about you. I, I yeah, that was pretty nice. That was that meant uh, I saw that post and it really uh, it made me emotional. And um, actually, my wife called me to tell me that she read it and she cried. Um, uh, Mike and I are like we're we're like uh, you know we're like brothers. I never had a brother. I have a sister, but I, I never had a brother. But if if I had a brother, it would probably be like him because he, well, he's a year and a half younger than I am. He acts like he's my older brother. <laughs> um, but that, but he's, what comes with that can be a pain in the ass sometimes. But, but with that responsibility that he took on as trying to be my older brother is that he's looked out for me ever since we've known each other, which is going on almost, well, like 13 years. Um, he's always looked out for me and, and, um, He's always believed in me, even when I didn't believe in myself. Like I was saying, I, I just, I have this, uh, you know, I'm better at it. I'm a little more, uh, I'm better at, at, I'm more comfortable with myself now, but I've not always been comfortable with myself as a person and, 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 uh, as a musician as well. But, um, he's always, he's been good to me and he, he, that, that post really made me feel really good. I still read it every once in a while. Cause I can't believe some of the things he said. Mm hmm on it. And, and and speaks right. volumes to the type of person he is to yeah. to um reveal himself or open up like that, oh. you know? Oh, he's 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 a, he's an old soul in that way. I mean, that's what that's what the that's what made the the Chicago that's what appealed it's that kind of personality and that kind of person that made me uh is why I I gravitated towards the blues artists, the old classic blues artists cuz that's they were genuine. Um, those guys are genuine, mm -hmm. uh, genuine people. They're honest and 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 uh, and and forthcoming, and that's what Mike is like, you know. Uh, and he's such a good he he's he's an incredibly generous person, and and uh, he never when he does something for someone, he doesn't expect uh, um, anything in return, or or there's not. You know, usually when somebody does something where you use, sometimes there's the people that have a, there's an ulterior motive to why they're doing it, but th th that's not the case with him. He, I'll give you an example. After this happened, uh, this, the COVID thing, when this happened, he was in the middle of a tour right. um, in Europe. And it was a, a tour that was, that was going to mean a lot of uh, 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 money for his, the guys in his band who all had families and that thing got canceled. He had to go home, cut that tour short and everybody was in the hole. And he found a way to make that money back. He, he did a, 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 he, he 
did he was the first person to do this. He did a virtual album. He recorded a virtual album with all his guys remotely in different places throughout the country and recorded an album and and uh and started a GoFundMe page. And uh but you know, GoFundMe pages are not like kind of pages where you're you're just asking for money and they give it to you. Right. He gave an incentive. He said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to record this album and anybody that donates to the album will get, you know, free uh, a CD and this and that. And he, you know, he made, he gave incentives to everybody, but he raised the money, came out with a great product and was able to pay his band and make his band feel whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't really, there wasn't much in it for him, but there was a whole, but he was able to pay his band. And he was the first person to, to, to do that. And when you're the first person to do something, sometimes people look at, look at you skeptically Mm -hmm. and they're like, well, what, what's he doing that for? You know, but he was ahead of, he was ahead of everybody in terms of how to do it. And then soon, soon after that, everybody was doing, you know, doing virtual shows and doing and recording stuff remotely and, and, and doing things, but he did it for his band. He didn't do it for anybody else. And because of that initial project, he was able to use that to raise money for other musicians in need that weren't in his band. Uh, um, uh, Other touring musicians. Right. He was just, he's a remarkable human being. He's an an amazing guitar player. Um, And songwriter. And songwriter as well. But he, he, see, I was amazed by his musicianship before I, I, I really got to know him as a person. The way he alter, uh, the way he, he, he hybrid picks, uh, the guitar with between his pick and his fingers. Uh, he's, he's one of the best at that. Um, and yes, his songwriting is, is from the heart. Um, he writes about his life as I do, but my life was not quite as, as, uh, as hard as he, his was. And so he had really a lot to say. And and his songwriting, yeah, is amazing. Um, everything about him is amazing. I love the guy. He's like, and, and, and I'm proud to know him. Well put. Um, you you talked you. about your confidence. You talked about doubting yourself. How do you sure. get over that? I know it's a work in progress, but as yeah. a musician and you're out there, putting yourself out there with your music and playing and whatever. How do you get over lack of confidence and having self-doubt? The, the, the love I have for the music is what overcomes it. Um, that's what, that's like I said earlier, you know, it's just the love that I have for, for playing music and performing is so great that it seems to overcome the self-doubt that I have. I've got, I'm, there are a lot of things that I've, uh, that have helped me, uh, along the way. And I'm, I'm pretty, I'm in a really good place now in terms of that, uh, of my, uh, myself, uh, myself worth, you know, I've, I've had some, some good fortune in the last few years. And I, I connected with my daughter who I didn't know I had a couple of years ago and, uh, and found out you had a granddaughter too, right? A granddaughter and a grandson on the same day, on the same day. And that, and that was like, that's been so wonderful for me personally. And and that, that really made me think, what the hell am I beating myself up over, over some bullshit? You know, why, why am I, you know, why I, I sweat, I, I don't sweat things as much anymore uh, because of that. Right. Uh, I'm, I, cause 
because I got other people in my life now that I that uh that I have to set an example for, and I like beating myself up over things or or uh, feeling that I'm not worth uh, um worthy of what I'm doing. I was like, man, it put everything in perspective. Let me put it to you this way, that way. I mean, that's why all the, the whole premise from of my of my my last studio album masterpiece was. Uh, the that that song I, I the the song the title track is about my daughter finding me and it, and it, it made me think it was like you know it's like uh, I've been an artist my whole life but of all the things I've done uh, musically it paled in comparison to what I created hmm. I mean that the 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 true masterpiece I created was my daughter. And, and through her, my grandchildren. And so that put everything in all in perspective. So I don't sweat myself as much because of it. I don't know if that wow. makes any sense. That makes total sense. Uh, it certainly does. It's pretty heavy. <laughs> hey, that's the name of one of my songs. <laughs> heavy. Well... It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Albert. Um, me, me too, man. That, I, I really enjoyed this. I can go on, I can go on, on forever talking to you. <laughs> um, tell me about songwriting. Let's let's finish off about. Let's. I mean, I want to finish off with one more question. Tell me. You know, you talked about just songwriting. One more. Just one. You should have any more. Do you want? Do you want more? Yeah, I could go a couple more. Okay. <laughs> Although I haven't right. eaten. I haven't eaten so. Uh, I'm a little loopy, so I might say, who knows what will come out of my mouth. <laughs> You've done well so far. Okay. Um, uh, tell me about the songwriting. I mean, you sure. said, you know, you were talked about um, Mike and, and his openness and, and your openness. And, and obviously, I mean, it must be nice to have something so life-changing happen to you, like discovering your daughter. Yeah. And, and then to write a song about it, and that goes on to win the Blues Music Awards. Mm. Like it's pretty amazing. Um, it's it's it goes to show you that um, you know it, there's no when when it comes to songwriting um, there there's there's uh, there's no greater subject matter than than actual life and actual living 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 the songs that that you wrote. Mm -hmm. um, I can't write about anything other than myself. I mean, I, I cannot, I I cannot write about, you know, the blues was, was founded, you know, it was created by, 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 from struggle, a struggle from that, that came from the, from, from, from African-Americans. And, and I cannot write about that. I am not qualified to write about the black experience. I, I am not qualified. So, the best thing I can do is just write about what, what, uh, you know, what's going on in my life. And, and, you know, my life was okay. You know, it was, was pretty, pretty interesting, but not quite, quite as interesting as, as it is now. But I, you know, I wrote about things that, that affected me in my life in the past. And, 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 and when I wrote about things that directly impacted me, it's, 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 uh, it's worked out for me uh, afterwards. I mean, I, I, my first Blues Music Award nomination w was in 2009 for Song of the Year, and it was a song called Bad Year Blues. 
and it and it stemmed from it came out of the the, the economic collapse uh, of 2009 or 2008. Right. And and my my wife was impacted greatly from it. She she was in advertising and, and marketing, and and she worked for an advertising agency that dealt with the car industry. And the car industry fell apart around that time. And she lost her job. And we were looking at, uh, and I was barely cracking uh, 20 grand a year at that time. And she was the breadwinner. And so I wrote that song, you know, and, and that's where it came from. And uh, it worked out, you know, we, we, we pulled out of it, but, but out of that, out of that hardship came that song. And from that song, came a blues music award nomination and people relating to that song and getting um, much more importantly than, than the nomination was that people, I would get uh, um, the, the feedback that I got from, from people who could relate to the song. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so if you ain't writing about what's, uh, if you're not writing about your life, then, you know, then you're, then you're just writing bubble gum. You know, you, you, you gotta, if you really want to, make an impact with your music. You need to write about what's going on in your life. And that means being vulnerable and opening up, uh, opening up to, and, 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 you know, delving in the, uh, you know, flirting with uncomfortable subjects sometimes. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if your friend didn't take you to that club way back in New Year's Eve to see Junior Wells? Oh, all the time. Um, I always tell people that the smallest act of kindness can change a life. And that's a perfect example of, of that. My story is a perfect example of that. And it was all, all a, a, a long list of small acts of kindness that got me to where I, I got. I didn't, I, I, I worked really hard to get to where I've gotten, but to say that I got here alone would be would be a lie. Mm-hmm. And nobody, and quite frankly, nobody gets nobody gets to where they uh, to 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 to, hi, to uh, nobody gets to a point without somebody doing something for you. That's just a fact. I mean, I you could you could people could say whatever they want. I did this all on my own, and nobody did nothing for me. Well, not necessarily true. The guy that gave you your first job. The guy that gave you the, 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 the gave you the opportunity, uh, um, yeah, my friend Gloria took me to see Junior, and that changed my life. Junior hiring me changed my life. His mere the, him hiring me opened the door for me to do this for a living. Um, Michael, you know, Mike Zito putting me in touch with uh, Roof Records was a big deal. Him recommending me to Roof Records and me doing those three albums with Roof Records. And then subsequently, my departure from Roof Records involved my my uh, my album Masterpiece. Um, you know, Roof wasn't crazy about the record, so we I parted ways with him. But I had this record, and I didn't know where to what to do with it. and But I needed to put it out, and Mike picked it up on, and, and put it on his label. And look what happened. It's all about the smallest act of kindness and, and, and that changes a life. And that's what I try to do every day. Um, 
and, and I try to help somebody and uh, as much as I can, if, if, I, if I help somebody that day in a small way, then I, then I contributed to society because the smallest act of kindness goes a long way. It really does. It changes a life. So yes, I do think about that day that, that I, that I was, uh, that I went to that club. Although some people could also argue that that might have happened to you in another way anyways. Right? Because no, you, had, you had the goods, right? I, there, so are a lot of people, there are a lot of people. There are so many great musicians that, that, uh, that just didn't get the breaks. Mm-hmm. So there's no guarantees in life. True. You know, and I, I've seen there, there, there are, 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 there are, are songwriters that are on par with 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 Bob Dylan and John Hyatt and and, and Randy Newman that that didn't that don't get the the recognition as the, that they get. Um, right. There's just no guarantees in what life will bring to you. So if someone speeds up the process and someone says and and somebody believes in you and nudges you in the right direction, that means something to me because it's been it's been a a, a long line of people helping me out. Well. It's a real pleasure meeting you, Albert. Thank you so much for spending time. Same, same here, Marco. Same here, man. This is great. Uh, let me know if we could do this again. I, I enjoyed talking to you. And hopefully we can meet in person one of these days soon. I hope so. All right. Um, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.